You know, I always love the way uh, the room gets decorated at Christmas, but this year, it's, uh, it's just kind of exceptionally special, don't you think? Well, all of you who, I mean, I, here's what I, I think, I think <clears throat> that there was a direct hit this year on my stylistic palette. <laughs> Get it? Because, like, there's palettes, but... Because I thought maybe that slipped by you because you weren't just busting up, falling out of your chairs. With the... You know, I waste some of my best stuff on you people. If you don't, I'm going to just stop punning altogether if you don't start laughing. <laughs> just, yeah, I know. Is that a problem? <laughs> and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, or stop being afraid. <clears throat> I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And here's the good news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the one you've been looking for all your lives. He is the Lord and this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. <clears throat> and I'm taken by this verse in a little bit different way this year as I read it, because this is the announcement of a king coming. But it goes beyond that and gets more specific. It's an announcement of a king coming with, did you hear that? Great joy. The king comes with joy. He brings joy. He introduces joy. Joy accompanies the coming of this king. Now, I like joy, and I like feeling joy, and I think sometimes I express joy, and maybe even more than half the time. But I doubt that there's a less qualified pastor on our team to preach about joy, if we're understanding joy as something that naturally attends a person. I'm more melancholy. I like to laugh, I have fun, but I'm prone to melancholy. Uh, but I'm still going to take a stab at this. But it's also the issue that's a little bit perplexing to me in this text. Because it's joy that comes with the king. The king brings joy. That's the focus of our time together. But that statement, that text prompts a question in me. I've recently read an author who said that we live in a perpetually agitated culture. Man, that's true. That makes sense. Uh, it's true even on steroids now that we're getting ready for a presidential election or any election. But you think about just about any context, any, any topic, and more often than not, it expresses the discussion of it, the, the engagement, expresses and illustrates this idea of us living in a perpetually agit agitated culture. And I asked the question, is it possible to be agitated and joyful at the same time? Doesn't agitation trump joy or drive joy right out of the room, right out of the atmosphere? It vacates joy being agitated, doesn't it? Hasn't that been your expression? Now, this was an agitated time that this announcement was made as well. There was turmoil, there was political turmoil, there was emotional turmoil, there was theological turmoil, all in the time of these 
shepherds receiving this announcement. And the announcement again is good news for you. The Savior's coming. The King comes with joy. He doesn't just come. He comes with not just joy, but with great joy, mega joy. So here's the question. If the King really comes and joy comes with him, and we don't doubt for a moment that he has come and is in the process of coming, why I'm projecting maybe, but I ask the question, why is this joy, why does it seem to be so elusive? Why is it so difficult, so rare to experience it, at least in an ongoing and increasingly deep fashion? And more importantly, more relevant is this question. And it's a question I want to attempt to address today. Not only why is this joy so elusive for so many of us, but how might we find more of it? Anybody here not want to experience joy more often and more permanently and more substantially? How can we experience more of the joy, a joy about which we're as certain as the king who brought it? So we're going to look at a couple of teachings of Jesus and try to find some help. Here's the first point in answering that question. How might we find more of it? I think we need to look at joy in a different way. One of the reasons we're not finding the joy that Advent promises and announces is because whatever it is we're looking for and trying to experience isn't really the joy it was talking about, the angels were talking about. Look at joy in a different way. The joy that's announced at Advent is substantially different than the definition many of us have of joy or the joy the joy we're seeking. Advent joy is one that results from recognizing the possibility for a new future. Ad, Advent joy, the joy this angel is announcing, great joy, this king has come and this is good news because it's a message of great joy. In so many words, that angel is saying, look, here's, here's why you can experience joy. Because what I'm telling you and what this Messiah is trying to tell us is things need not always be as they are now. Find hope in that. You're not always going to be stuck. Today's experience doesn't, doesn't trap us in tomorrow's outcomes. It doesn't define tomorrow's outcomes. There is freedom coming. He's saying, where there's no justice, there is now the possibility, the probability of justice. Where there's no mercy, you can look forward to mercy now because the Messiah has come and all things have become new, at least potentially. And the joy that the Advent angel announces is that kind of joy. It's a joy that isn't locked into what we experienced yesterday or today necessarily, not limited to that, but it's a joy that recognizes, hey, the future is good. The king has shown up and nothing's the same anymore because he has shown up. And that brings us great joy. This joy is a joy that comes from having a new hope. And a hope is futuristic, isn't it? This joy is an eschatological joy. You know what eschatological? eschatology deals with, the science, the study of the end times, the study of the way things are going to be. When human history as we know it ends and something much better, much more in line, in fact, perfectly in line with what God has always intended for us is launched. So this joy looks forward to that. 
and recognizes that everything we experience today is temporary. It has no, no long-term future, not necessarily anyway. And we're free to make better choices. And we're free to invest ourselves in better things. And the future is different than the present. And there's joy that comes with that. Like, oh yeah, there's hope. It's an eschatological joy. That's the Advent joy. So when the angel comes and says, I bring you good news with great joy. A savior is born. Who's going to rip Rome off of your backs. Give you freedom. Freedom to yield to God again. Freedom to love again. Freedom to be loved again. Freedom to be valued again. Freedom to invest yourself in something worthwhile. Future. The joy is tied to the future and it's linked with hope. Listen to what Jesus says as he illustrates this later on when he's teaching his apostles. Something that's pain now, but it's, but it's endured because of what comes as a result of the pain. The woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she virtually forgets. Now, I, I had one of our sisters pull me aside between gatherings and say, trust me, that's a pain you never forget. <laughs> but you know what, the, what Jesus is getting at. It's as though... Forget it in light of what you're holding in your arms. Her baby is born. She forgets the anguish she had because of her joy, the joy that the child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And this is Jesus is ending his ministry now. I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take that joy away from you. In that day, You'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive. And your what? Your joy will be made complete. So Jesus illustrates the joy that he's talking about with pregnancy, uh, the pain of childbirth, and the way what comes to you as a result of that pain brings joy in spite of the pain. There's an eschatology that's linked to this joy of Advent. An awareness of the future and a hope in a different future and a living as though we had a hope in a different future. Advent joy, then, is experienced in the midst of struggle because of the assurance that what comes after the struggle was worth the struggle. That understanding brings great joy, linked with hope. It's a very different way to look at the concept of joy than the way many of us look at it. How in the world can we experience this joy the angel announces, even while we relate to the king who brought the joy? Look at it in a different way. C.S. Lewis shames us with this challenge. Our Lord, he says, finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with, dark, uh, with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. He's saying we're trading down. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Lewis says we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased with our shallow, wanting definition of joy. 
The angel comes and says, oh, I bring you great joy, lasting joy, the deep kind of joy. When I bring you this announcement of a king who changes everything and hope. You know, we assume today that because we're not experiencing or living in this constant endorphin rush, that we're not experiencing joy because we're not always off the charts, elated, and feeling the bubble of all of that, that we're not experiencing joy. The fact is that a better understanding of what it is that's promised to us and announced to us might result in us realizing we have more joy than we ever thought possible. Things will not always be as they are today. And there's plenty that's going on today that grieves our hearts and confuses us, even, even challenges our faith, isn't there? The promise is the king has come. And everything that breaks your heart, even though we ought to address it now, we're not being passive or evasive, but everything that breaks the heart of the people of God and humanity in general will one day end. And a new downbeat will happen when Jesus says, Hey, that's enough of that. That's where we're going, folks. Perhaps we don't experience that joy that was announced because it's time for us to look at it in a different way. Got the wrong definition. Second point and final point. How do we experience more of that joy? Not only look at it a different way, but look for it in a different place. We pursue all sorts of things, trying to find joy or happiness or fulfillment or whatever word you want to plug in there. But Jesus says, no, you go look for it in a different place. That's why you're not finding real joy. You're not looking in the right place. I had this job in Chicago where I was, for the denomination where I used to travel a lot, and I was always conscious. We used to get lectures all the time. This is the Widow Anderson's donation that you're spending when you go out and do your ministry. So always remember that and be be efficient with the use of money, and you don't have to stay in this hotel, stay in this hotel. And so we're always trying to save some money and, and also have a little fun, and I'm sort of a social guy, so I'd much rather stay with a friend or in a friend's house than in a hotel. And so I knew I was going to be traveling someplace uh, ahead of time, a few months ahead of time, and I had a friend there. Brenda and I have friends all over the place. And I called my friend and said, hey, I'm going to be in your town uh, for a few days. Instead of staying at a hotel, how if I stay in your place? Oh, you know what? He says, we're going to be out, uh, we're going to be on vacation um, when you're there that week, but we'll leave a key under the mat. You've been to our house before, you know where it is. We'll leave a key under the mat for you. You can still stay there, you know, raid the refrigerator, watch the movies, do whatever you want, use the hot tub, and just there's a key under the mat. Good. So months later, I'm in town, and uh, I uh, don't book a motel. I go over to my friend's house. I look for the key under the mat, and there's no key under the mat. Oh, man, I looked under the flower pots, no key under the, I, look, I looked for a fake rock, you know, there's no key under the, so I called my friend on his cell phone, I said, hey, I know you're on vacation, you're out east, but I'm at, I'm, there's no key under the mat, he goes, I'm sure I left a key under the mat, I know there's no key under the mat, I said, I'm standing right next to the, you know, that big red door, oh, he says, oh, the red door, he goes, I forgot to tell you, we moved, we don't live there anymore, <laughs> That's right, since we talked, we moved. Hey, can you imagine, by the way, the embarrassment that waited for me 
if whoever the new occupants of that house were also had the habit of leaving a key under the mat. It's like a three bears experience. Daddy, there's been somebody sleeping in my bed too, and there he is. <laughs> I was looking for the right thing in the right way in the wrong place. And it made all the difference in the world. And we sometimes do that with this joy that's announced. I bring you great news, good news of great joy. And we say, we want that joy. Give us some of that. And then we go looking for it under the wrong doormat. Jesus understood that and he addressed it. I am the vine, he says in John 15, teaching his apostles again and his disciples. If you remain in me, if you take up permanent, connected, enmeshed residence in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Great things will result from that relationship. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. And if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. And what do they do with those branches? They pick them up and throw them in a pile and they burn them. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You're with me on that so far? So remain is it's the same word we might translate um, uh, live or, or be in that household. You, you, you dwell. But then I'm going to jump ahead to verse 9. Now he says this. As the Father has loved me, because Jesus develops that a little bit more in that context. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, that's about the third time he's referenced that in that context. You will remain in my love. So Jesus is being redundant, powerfully redundant here to make a point. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And then this key. I have told you this about remaining in my love and about uh, keeping my commandments and being aware of and following my teachings and pursuing that kind of a life. I have told you this so that your joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or mature or fully satisfying. There's that theme again. So what does Jesus say about reducing the elusiveness of the joy the angel announced at Advent? He's saying joy does not result from some sort of a wild, unguarded, crazy experience of every poisonous hors d'oeuvre the world has to offer us. Joy doesn't result necessarily from accomplishments at your job and in your career. It's not the result of anything that we do, although we look under those doormats all the time. What he's saying very clearly is this. It's counterintuitive. Joy results not in um, priding yourself and being disconnected and independent and needing no one. He's saying no, the opposite. Joy results in you taking on a yoke. In fact, Jesus is implying here to think that you get to live as a human being without some sort of yoke, without being dominated by something. Is foolish, you're crazy, it's just not the case. You were created for connection. He said, joy comes by connecting with me. Joy comes when you find it in me and find your life in me and hear what I taught and then live it. 
Hear what I invite you to, and then go and respond to it. Come to my party. Come dance with me. Come live with me. He says, take on the yoke that fits you. And there's joy there. To put it even more plainly, Jesus is saying, where's joy? It's in service. It's in dying to yourself. It's in the practice of generosity. It's in the humble reception of a savior. It's in connecting with me, linking with me, being led by me. That's where you're gonna find joy. Sometimes this joy is so elusive because we're looking for it in the wrong place. The instruction of Jesus is this. You come and remain in me, and I'll remain in you, and then you're going to have the fullness of joy. The very joy I have, you're going to have. And that's the joy, the Advent joy, that's announced to us. George Bernard Shaw says, This is the true joy in life. The being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on the scrap heap. That's a powerful picture, isn't it? Exhausted from doing great things, good things, Jesus-type things. That's joy. And being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish, little clod of ailments and grievances. Being a force for God instead of some wasted little dirt clod full of grievances and complaints, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. How might we find and experience the joy that's promised us? We're sure that the king has come. We're not so sure that he knew what he was talking about when he said the coming results in great joy because we don't taste that joy very often, it's elusive. Begin to see it in a different way. Begin to look for joy in a different place. And I think it's wise to take the lead Jesus offers and recognize that that place is really a person. Advent joy. The future need not be like the present. Practice experienced joy. Whatever that future is going to be, follow Jesus, link with Jesus in making as much of today like that future tomorrow as is possible. More joy will be experienced. So there are some texts that talk about joy that I want to finish, by ask, uh, finish with this sermon by asking you to consider that those two points, those two uh, uh, contributions to the definition and experience of joy. In light of those, now hear these texts about joy again, because these are challenging texts, like the one from James 1. How does joy sound different? How does this text feel different, given what we've just heard? He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. This is absurd. If you think that verse is absurd, you're right on. You're thinking straight. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or temptations of many kinds. Consider it joy. I'm about a half step away from being destroyed when that. Th Consider it joy 
Except that when you consider that and experience those kinds of challenges in light of the fact that this is the certain future we have. This is how this book ends. And I'm living in the meantime for that purpose. And I have hope. Consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Oh, there's value even in my failure. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. And here's this word again, complete, lacking in nothing. Or Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, and it goes on. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Here are some of the things, by the way, that followers of Jesus practice and seek. We're not perfect, and we're not all the way there, but these are the things that we say, these... And I may miss the mark sometimes, but by God, these are going to mark my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, forgiveness, mercy, whatever you want to add to it, they all come from the presence of the Spirit in us, from remaining in Christ. And even today's text, I'll read it again. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified just like we would have been terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. It's not bad news that I bring you. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, what you've been longing for all your lives has happened. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now listen, after those shepherds saw that Savior, they were still shepherds. They were still at the bottom of the social strata. But they were different. They had a new hope. One of the things that happened as a direct result of that Messiah being born was that 10 or 15 families had their two-year-old sons and under murdered by the Romans. I don't think they were feeling much elation. But in their grief, through their tears, when they could find the strength to speak, they could still say, this evil has happened. And I've got this hidden joy dormant in me because tomorrow will not be like today. And I cling to that. The Messiah was born, which is to say, all things are new, and that brings joy.